Thanks for joining us once again on the Women in Security podcast. For those of you who are not familiar, my name is Lee Van Tan, and I'm a security recruiter with Morgan McKinley. And in each episode, I bring on board a different female speaker who works in the industry, and we explore different topics um, that could be work-related, that could be an advice about life, and we would also touch on the different areas, different functions within information security. So hopefully through each episode, you take away something new and I hope you find it useful. And if you would like to receive regular updates on the podcast, you can find us on Twitter, on LinkedIn, as well as any of the platforms that you listen to your podcast. Um, For regular updates, make sure to subscribe and I will talk to you the next time. Bye. So today we have in the studio with us Orla Cox. Orla, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Orla, could you give us a bit of introduction into who you are? Sure. So um, my background is really cybersecurity, worked for Symantec, who I think a lot of people would know as a big cybersecurity company. Uh, worked there for over 20 years, so a long time in one company. But did a, a lot of roles during that time. So most recently then I was responsible for our communications. So sharing a lot of our research and intelligence around uh, threats and what's happening with the threat landscape. So producing things like blogs and reports and, um, you know, variety of content really to, to share those stories. Was that the focus of your career in the whole time that you were with Symantec? Uh, no, n- not at all. To be honest, I think like a, a lot of people in IT kind of fell into the yeah. role. Maybe not fell in because it was something I, I suppose that built up um, over the years. But really, you know, my background was in marketing and languages. And really, when I joined Symantec, it was, you know, I was pretty much straight out of college. Needed to earn some money. They were looking for people who spoke German. And so I joined to do uh, German tech support. And uh, really, it just went from there. So I used to do tech support for Symantec's antivirus products. So really a lot of consumers at the time, so home users. At that stage, Symantec wasn't really in the, the corporate space, but then they did then enter into that space. And so I started dealing with a lot more uh, businesses. And then from there, then I always, because I was supporting uh, the antivirus products, doing tech support for those, I really... Like I became very interested in threats and viruses and malware and everything to do with that. And we used to have a team that was um, focused just around research and building protection against threats as well as security response. So I really, really wanted to get into that. I wanted to focus on that. And so uh, a role came up as an instant handler for them. And so really it was just day to day responding to threats. So applied for that role and got it and really then found myself at the the front line of dealing with, you know, at the time it was really what we had were the big outbreaks, a lot of worms that were spreading quite aggressively across organizations. So we found ourselves nearly every day having to respond to something new. And so it was really great experience, you know, obviously high pressure. But, you know, at the time I was learning so much and it was you're really at the, the front line of really when you had the explosion of malware and threats at that stage it was really um very much a i suppose a growing industry you know people knew about threats but it was very much a tech industry it wasn't really mainstream you know people people who were in the business knew about it but maybe not so much you know everyday 
let's say the media, for example, weren't really picking up on these threats like they would today. So it was a very different environment. But over the years, then what we found was that things changed. And from that, that there was a much more interest in, in threats more uh, broadly. And people were interested in the stories behind threats, where they came from, you know, how they were acting. And so because of that, then we found ourselves sharing a lot more through things like blogs and even social media through Twitter. There was just much more appetite for this. And then even the mainstream media now are starting to show an interest in cybersecurity. And so from that, then that's where my kind of role, the most recent role evolved then, where we needed just a, f- a good focus on communications, on how we wanted to share these stories and um, how we wanted to, to get them out there. So it's definitely not, a, I say, a direct path, um, but it's just something that evolved over time, really responding to how the landscape around us was changing. Do you think one of the biggest change or evolution of the security industry is the way that security is being communicated? Um, yeah, I think it's a combination of the, the threats themselves and just because you had more and more people online. You know, when I started out, not everyone was online, mm-hmm. whereas now like everyone in your family yeah. <laughs> was online. There was it's, no Wi-Fi. Yeah, you didn't have smartphones, you know, they didn't exist. So it, it wasn't so much a day-to-day part of our life. Also, as well, the types of threats changed, you know, so we saw really an evolution in that. And I think the big change was really when cybercrime emerged. You know, initially when I started out, it was um, really people doing it for fun, you know, for hobbyists, doing it because they could. And you had gangs of hackers trying to get one up on each other. But then you had the emergence of cybercrime and that's when we really saw things taking off. And so then people were starting to lose money as a result of uh, an affection. Things like, you know, ransomware, for example, the explosion that became kind of mainstream. Everyone knew about it. And so it was directly affecting them. And then at the same time, what you had was then governments, (laughs) nation states getting involved then as well. And, you know, hacking other nation states and so not using, you know, traditional maybe kinetic weapons to, to carry out attacks, but we're actually doing things in, in cyberspace. And so that was a, another shift as well. So I think really those two moves in the motivations of, of attacks that changed the threat landscape and as a result made it more mainstream. And, you know, then we saw then this mainstream media picking up on it and people wanted to know more about this. And so we had to then yeah adapt to that. From my perspective, I've seen new roles, new job titles being created in the last few years that didn't exist before. And that's a result of, as you've alluded to earlier, people, the mainstream audience becoming more aware of cybersecurity. How did the move into the communications side of things come about? Yeah, I think it's a variety of reasons for that. You know, initially when we used to deal with big outbreaks and mass infections, we'd have people wanting information, but that can become a distraction when you're trying to deal with it. And so what we wanted to really do was have a separation of you know, the people who were building the defences, the protection against these threats, and analyzing the threats to understand them, to leave them do that part of the job and not be distracted by having to answer questions, be it from customers or media or could even be, you know, senior staff within the organization. 
And so that's when you know, we saw a need yeah, for somebody to focus just on the communications piece, getting the information out there. And then, you know, so that then evolved over time to people then just been interested in how attacks were carried out. So storytelling and really building an understanding of not just the technical and nitty gritty, but again, you know, who's what's the motivation behind these attacks? Who are they targeting? You know, what are they interested in? How are they carried out? And so not getting into the specifics, but just a general understanding of how the attacks are carried out. So a different way of sharing information and also realizing that there's different channels. And so an ability to be able to use the right channel, you know, for the, the right information. So because of that, then you, you need to have people then specifically focused on that. So, yeah, it's just the roles kind of broaden and then you get more, I guess, defined roles then over time. And I think yeah, we really saw that in, in cybersecurity. So you mentioned in the role of communications, it was putting out content, blogs, white papers, research, talking about storytelling. And I believe you're my first guest on the podcast who's ever done a podcast, hosted a podcast yourself as well. Tell us about that experience. Yeah, that was something we started looking at the last couple of years because, you know, as you're well aware, people start consuming information different, uh, differently over time. And so two reasons. First of all, I think that, you know, we've see, really seen an explosion in podcasts and that what we learned was that our customers were consuming information in a different way. They don't have time all the time to sit down and read long reports. And so a podcast is something that somebody could listen to, you know, on their drive on the way to work. So we thought this would be a good vehicle for getting out just information that would be easily digestible for our customers. But also at the same time as well, I think having worked for a big company like Symantec, sometimes all you're seeing is this big corporation. You're maybe not seeing the, the people behind it. And I think podcasts are great for getting the human side of what we do out there. It gave us the ability to have, you know, some of our researchers come along and showcase the work that they did. And so it's just a much more human way of communicating. And so that's why we decided to go down that path. And we gave ourselves a pretty aggressive schedule, a weekly podcast. Wow. And um, I do want Which is high pressure. <laughs> but I think it's just... Um, it shows just the nature of um, that area that mm. you know, two weeks, three weeks, a month is a huge period of time, you know, in cybersecurity, a lot can happen. And so you need to be able to respond quickly. And so I think for us, we're, we're used to responding in minutes, you know, seconds sometimes to incidents. So um, we're used to kind of tight timescales. We felt like that was the, the right way to go. So it's been a bit of pressure sometimes, but got ourselves organized and so got a good process down. And there's always a wealth of information to talk about there. So we, we managed to, to get it get Are it right. those podcasts available on public platforms? Yes, available on all, all public platforms. So whatever way you consume it, iTunes, etc. So yeah. it's up there. Cause it I'll put be. a link down to that and Great. I'll yeah. be interested yeah. to listen yeah. to it myself. One thing that I find really interesting is that earlier you mentioned because Symantec is a cybersecurity company, but it's evolved over the years. And what that meant as well is that you were exposed to cyber well before majority of the listeners or companies, industries out there would be. What is the biggest change that you've observed from the last decade? Yeah, I suppose there's been a few. It's hard to maybe pinpoint it down. The way yeah, we act online maybe has been a big thing. So the evolution of, you know, smartphones and how we consume that. I think also the whole area of data and data privacy, you know, 
privacy and security sometimes can be kind of mixed up a bit, but they really are two sides of the same coin. And I think now that corporations and individuals are so aware now of their personal data, of what they're entitled to, and that for companies as well, you cannot get away (laughs) with a breach anymore. It becomes public knowledge. People expect a certain response to it. And so because of that, then people can't just, you know, brush this under the carpet anymore. And companies have to be very visible and quick in their response to it. And I think you can't just can't pull the wool over people's eyes anymore. And so because of that, then I think people have, and organisations in particular, then cybersecurity became a non-negotiable. You know, this is just something that we have to get on top of. And even individuals as well. You know, I think a lot of people thought, like, this is never going to happen to me. But now, and I know by the amount of calls I get from people, you know, just relatives, that they really are aware, like, this looks suspicious. Should I be suspicious, you know, of this, that people, are, I think, are getting there. They do know that you can't trust every email that comes in or every message that comes in. So there is an awareness out there. And I think it's a non-negotiable now. It's just something that you have to be on top of. And did that awareness make your job easier or more challenging? Um, I think it just changed it I guess in a way we became you know as I said we were non-negotiable whereas before we maybe were seen as a bit of a luxury I guess from a business point of view then it meant it was good because I mean people were you know spending a lot more on security than they would have before but then at the same time there's a high expectations people expect you to be on top of everything and Fortunately, we had to change, you know, there's been kind of a change in strategy, I think, with a lot of organizations because they realize now you, and it's just the, the reality, you can't stop everything, but you need to be able to just, when you are aware of something, to respond appropriately. And we've seen even the shift in the last few years is a move away from what you would call protection to detection, <laughs> realizing that you can't protect against anything. It's a lot of talk at the moment about EDR, so it's detection and response. And so understanding that people are accepting that attackers are going to get in, but that you're responding to the right things, that you're only jumping on something that is really serious, that needs your you know immediate response to it and, and that, you're, that you have a comprehensive response to it. So we've definitely seen that kind of shift over the last while. And so, yeah, we're probably just reached that tipping point now that people realize, you know, we can't protect against everything, but let's just do the, the best of what we have. And you... S- kind of fell into this industry you said earlier because you were looking for a job and Symantec was looking for someone who spoke German but you had majored in marketing and language. Marketing languages, right? yeah. So yeah. then you got into security. Of course, we know now that a lot of people who work in security never really plan to or because of the way that their career evolved, it just happened. If you went back in time, would you have done anything differently? Would you have perhaps wanted to take on a slightly more technical degree? Would you have changed anything at all? In hindsight, it would have been nice to have a technical degree. I think there's a certain level of confidence maybe that comes with that, you know, because sometimes I think I think maybe it's particularly a female thing that you sometimes doubt yourself. Like I did do a lot of professional qualifications along the way. So things like CISSP, etc. But I think maybe in hindsight, we'd gone back maybe and done something more technical in university. I think 
you can't underestimate the confidence that comes with that and also just a good grounding in just general knowledge of IT and of computer science. So that I would change. Then at the same time, I think I got a lot of frontline experience that was kind of key to building my own knowledge and experience was, you know, I dealt with a lot of customers face to face, dealt with a lot of incidents on the front line. And there's no better way to learn when you're thrown into the fire like that, that you just have to deal with it. And there really is no replacement for experience. So that would be my recommendation to somebody who wanted to get into cybersecurity is put yourself out the front line, deal with those incidents as they're happening. It can be scary, but it's a, it's also a very exhilarating and hugely rewarding experience when you get on top of this and when you look back and see what you learned. But it is always good to have a good foundation, I think. You know, it'll never go to waste. Do you remember a time in your career where you felt out of depth? Do you remember a single moment, I guess? It's not been a single moment, but there's like there were plenty of very difficult customer situations mm-hmm. that we were dealing with. It's when you're in the middle of it, you, kind of, you think there's no end in sight. In those situations, when I look back, we did always work it out in the end. You do get there in the end. I think it's important to keep a bit of perspective and a bit of a level head. When you're dealing with customers face to face, there is a lot of pressure on them. They do not, in certain industries as well, they do not want downtime. And certainly, there've been cases where, particularly sensitive industries, where, particularly in healthcare, for example, and you're thinking, like, you know, this is people's health or, or lives even are, are on the line, and that it's that the pressure of that can sometimes um, get to you. But just focus on the job that's at hand. You used to just try and, you know, when it's dealing with incidents, just try to compartmentalise, you know, what can I do with now? Just deal with that now. And then move on to the next thing and not try to, to get overwhelmed. And I think, you know, what we used to do then, we'd always do a post-mortem after we had a big incident to look back and say what went right, what went wrong and build processes and procedures to deal with that. And so sometimes it's true, you, you learn from your mistakes. <laughs> we really have really evolved from some of the the big, big mistakes that we made along the way. So, yeah, like there were some (laughs) some very tough times, a lot of late nights and sometimes we thought we'd never get to the end. But we always did. And I think we always tried to take something from it. Is there any interesting incidents that you could share with us? Yeah, without a doubt, it was when we dealt with Stuxnet that I think people are familiar with. So just in case they aren't, Stuxnet was a threat that... A long time ago now, a number of years ago. But a threat that we now know was used to disrupt the Iranian nuclear program. Now, when we started looking at this, we didn't realize that that's what it was. This was a, a slow burner. But that was just a hugely exciting piece of research to work at. It was really like solving a mystery in an area that we knew nothing about. We knew nothing about uranium enrichment and centrifuges and things like that. And it started off just when in cybersecurity, particularly. You need to have good researchers and analysts who have that, uh, just the spidey sense when they see something. When you're dealing with threats, if you're dealing with, you're talking about hundreds of thousands of threats each day. Somebody that has the ability to spot something that seems a bit different. And so we had one guy that spotted that this particular threat was targeting what are called industrial control systems. So this is basically the computers that are used to run so like factories mm-hmm. and so industrial environments. And you're talking about things like power plants, etc. So big manufacturing industrial environments. And so we saw that this particular threat was targeting that. And so we knew that this was unusual. When we looked closer, we could see that then when we started analysing it and we started looking at data of where we were seeing these infections, that's when we noticed that the majority of the infections were in Iran. 
And so there were all these breadcrumbs along the way and we had to buy some of this machinery ourselves to learn how it worked. <laughs> and we had to try and engage with experts in the field of nuclear energy, weapons development, etc. And so it took a long, long time, but it was a huge piece of research and hugely important. You know, it was the first time that we've seen a threat actually out there causing physical damage. It was you know, something that we hadn't seen before. We knew it was a real game changer. And that really, I'd say, is probably the high point of my career to be involved in that hugely important piece of research. It just feels, yeah, we just felt really proud of what we did. It was a lot of work. We had to put in a lot of long hours and sometimes doubting ourselves, thinking we'd never get there. And that we we knew what we were looking at, but we needed to have the proof. uh, And eventually we got there. And that we also were able to find journalists who were willing to tell that story as well and to do it justice. And so, yeah, so I think that that was definitely a high point in my career. Is that what we know today as the ICS and OT security? Is that uh, yes, that's what we would, yeah. So it kind of, I guess, has a name now. <laughs> Back then, it was all very theoretical. We knew that this could happen. But the security around those sort of environments wasn't really there. And, you know, and Stuxnet exposed the weaknesses in those environments because, like, a lot of these... Now, these are operational environments. They can't have downtime. And so a lot of the time, the computers that are used to, to run these systems, they're just left up and running because they don't want to apply, say, security patches and things like that. They can't afford to have downtime. But it means that they're very, very exposed. And, and also organizations think that they have security in place where only certain people have access to these environments but what we found with Stuxnet was that then you also have sometimes contractors coming in so it exposed the whole idea of the supply chain and how you're exposing maybe your network your environment to other outside sources without even really thinking about it so it really did expose the weaknesses in these environments and really start a lot of important conversations around how you protect those sort of environments so Yeah, that's where really, I guess, a lot of that area of security came from. And you mentioned earlier a part about getting journalists interested in this. Would you be able to share the process of engaging with media? Yeah, I suppose we more of our PR team would do that. So we had, you know, a great PR team that we would work with who would basically take our research and then, you know, just pitch it to journalists. So we'd contact them and share some of the findings that we had. And so but a lot of the time as well was building relationships with journalists. Um, and so it would work both ways that we would share research with them, but then journalists maybe working on a story, they would offer our expertise on it. So we built up a relationships with journalists over the years then who would regularly pick up our stories. And, you know, and we tried to be important as well because... You know, as I think I mentioned earlier, security only really became mainstream news in the last few years. And so there were only really a few journalists maybe that were covering those stories. It's much bigger now and also even much more organizations as well who are trying to tell security stories. So I think like journalists today are just really hammered with pitches from different organizations. So we used to try and be very careful about being selective in like the stories that we want to tell. Don't give them out. Only important content and then matching the right story with the right journalist so that we knew that it was a piece of content that that journalist um, would be interested in and then usually we do briefings with them sometimes it would be under embargo sometimes we would give some journalists exclusives as well depending on the story so there were different kind of media strategies maybe we'd use to do that so it was kind of a learning experience as well you know over time because we weren't really ted like it was much more I guess reactive in the early days where the journalists would come to us mm-hmm. but then we started you know to go with them with the stories as we used to 
particularly around the more targeted attacks and nation state type of research, because then you had even not just tech journalists interested, you'd like political journalists you know, who, were, who were looking to cover these stories. So we had to change it a bit over time. So, yeah, so it's, it's not really one size fits all. But yeah, I think the key if we're trying to work at media is, you know, make sure you're giving them something that they're actually interested in and that you're not you know, giving them too much as well. Mm-hmm. You're not overdoing it. They're so interesting. <laughs> that's a great story because <laughs> I find myself really interested in reading about such stories right but you yeah, never really yeah. think about the background how it all happens I mean let's say on Netflix today we see a lot of documentaries we see movies based on true events yeah, how it yeah. happens and you see that but then it's a movie you don't really think about how it actually happens in real yeah, life yeah yeah you know? i know i know there is actually a movie that was made about um stuxnet called zero days and there's actually two of our researchers who involved the stuxnet research and um, they were involved in that movie it, was really, it gives you really good oh. background in stuxnet so yeah i'd recommend that zero days zero okay days. that's yeah. on my list to watch <laughs> now <laughs> Prior to security response communications, you had managed the security operations and security intelligence. Tell us about how the research operations and intelligence kind of go hand in hand and what is the difference between each of them? Operations is really when you're on the front line. So this is when you're responding to threats as they happen. So be it from a customer incident or you might see something bubbling up that's spreading. So it's responding to that, making sure that you have protections in place or helping a customer respond to that. Intelligence is then much more, you may be looking at more strategically. So you're looking more broadly at particularly the data that you have to try and identify any trends in that data. So where we're seeing an increase in a certain type of threat, for example, or we're seeing you know threats targeting certain type of industries or certain type of geographies. Yeah, so much broader kind of looking at the threat landscape and trying to see where things are shifting or where the next threat might come from. So and one feeds into the other. So the intelligence helps you build your protection so that you're more efficient then in your security operations. But then a lot of the times the operations end of things are the first people to see a threat as it happens. And then we take that then and so saying we take, we'll use maybe the information that comes from the operations team to build up, you know, our intelligence around that particular threat. So we might so do analysis on a threat and then look at that threat and see what organizations that's in, when it started, what its motivations are. So building up a much bigger picture on it. So yeah, one kind of feeds into the other. I know that you've recently left Symantec and you were there for well over 20 years. How does it feel? <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's very strange. Yeah, life on the on the outside. Yeah, it was just, it was very sad to leave, you know, as it'd be a long, like if, you, if you're staying with an organization for that length of time, it's obviously a good organization to work for. But I felt, you know, recently it was taken over by another company. And I feel like at this stage in my career that it was a good opportunity to maybe step out because I felt like if I didn't do it now, maybe I wouldn't do it. And that I'm at an age where I have an op- maybe an opportunity to move in a slightly different direction or to take on a slightly different role. And so I felt like it was time to, to take the leap. It was a great, you know, 23 years there, learned so much. And as we've heard here, dealt with you know, had to work with so many interesting people and work on so many interesting threats. But all good things, I think, must come to an end. And so now it's just, a, yeah, an opportunity to try something else. Was it scary when you first thought of moving on? Yes, it, yeah, it was. It's, um, you know, there is the security of being at an organization for a long period of time and that 
you're doing a job that you've been doing for a long period of time and so you have a, a comfort you know, with that so it is like a leap into the unknown I didn't have a job lined up either so you know that's particularly scary as well but I think sometimes fortune favours the brave and so it's time to to make that leap and see how it develops. Yeah, absolutely and it's exciting times in the market in the industry you bring a wealth of knowledge with you what are you excited about in the future prospects of where you could move into yeah like i'd like to stay in the communications field i think as i've mentioned here there's still interest in cybersecurity. i really enjoy kind of telling those sort of stories so i'm actually thinking about maybe going back to college and maybe doing some more qualifications in the area I haven't decided really yet what i'll do but I think there's definitely an appetite for all this. I think as well, things like stories around elections, you know, as we come to another US election year, mm. the stories around kind of disinformation campaigns and also how cyber can be used to disrupt a lot of these campaigns and influence these campaigns. There still is a lot of interest around that. So I'll be interested to see how that kind of evolves. So things always change. I know from those 23 years. That it's always evolving, so there'll always be something new to to talk about. People's interests may change, but I think people will always be interested in hearing the story. So yeah, I'm just like to see how things will it'll evolve, what stories we're going to talk about next year. I definitely would still like to be involved in the conversation around those. So I'll be trying to think about how I can get myself then in the position to do that. I'll be very much looking forward to more storytelling from you. Different <laughs> form of communication, but thank you thank so you. much for sharing thank your you. story. It's great to be here.